0: So again, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, now, you're all the way in Baltimore, correct? Yes. Yeah, what's it like there?
1: Um, so I grew up in the county, like Baltimore County, um, and then now I currently live in the city, which isn't not really the city, but like, because it like borders um, the county as well, but it's like. Definitely not like really city life like we got a lot of trees and hills
0: <laughs> so like a uh, lot of a lot of hiking and stuff I would assume um not
1: necessarily in the part where I live but yeah if you go out in different parts of the county there's lots of hiking and um not necessarily like mountainous but like woodsy kind of stuff
0: okay are you into any of that kind of stuff
1: yeah, yeah. I don't do it as much as I would like to, mostly because I don't like hiking by myself because I have no sense of direction. And when you're in the woods, everything looks the same. So <laughs> for safety reasons, I don't go hiking by myself. <laughs>
0: yeah, that seems kind of smart. <laughs> <laughs> I um I ran an ultra marathon, uh, like, I guess almost two years ago. And if I didn't map out the course, I I mapped it out on my phone. If I didn't map it out, I think I would have spent the night in there because there was no way (laughs) I would have been able to find my way out. Oh my
1: gosh.
0: (laughs) Um, so you grew up in Baltimore. Uh, let's kind of get into your story a little bit. Who are you? Um, where are you from? Like what, who, what, what makes you, you? Um, so I, yeah,
1: I grew up in the In Baltimore County, I was adopted from China when I was about five, six months old. Um, My mom and my aunt went over and got me. Um, My dad doesn't like flying, so he stayed here. Um, And so that was like back in like 95 or so. Um, And I was adopted from the uh, Anhui province. I have no idea how to actually like pronounce that. Um, But then I, just kind of grew up in Baltimore County. And then I, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. So I stayed in one place for the majority of my life. And then I went to college in upstate New York. Um, and then now I'm back here. I got my master's at uh school of social work, of school, University of Maryland School of Social Work in Baltimore. Um, and then here I am. <laughs>
0: I feel like that's a lot to unpack.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you just kind of,
0: you kind of just grazed over the fact that you're from China um, and yeah. that you were brought here when you were five or six months old. Yeah. Um, do you know anything? I mean, obviously you're too young at that point to remember anything. Yeah. Um, but what, what was the situation like? Why did you go up for adoption? Like, what was, what was that like?
1: Um, so I don't know. Too, too much about my adoption story. Um, I do. I had written a post a little while back about um my story and stuff. So I um, from what I do know is that I was left at a at a fire station um about seventeen days after I was born, and then um my parents or my mom went over to China um with a with a group of five, including my family, uh, five other families who uh who were through the same adoption agency, um, adoptions together. Um, and then they went over and adopted five babies. And I still wow. keep in contact with um, three, three of the other ones. Um, so we're all kind of spread out though. One is uh, in Baltimore city, close to me. Um, one moved out to Colorado uh, two years ago or so. And then there's one who lives out in California um, wow. and her parents. parents still they live um on the eastern shore of uh maryland and then i actually live like maybe 10 minutes away from uh the other one who's in colorado from her parents
0: (laughs) wow so are these your siblings
1: no so we it's uh five babies into five separate families
0: oh okay okay yeah yeah um so it's kind of cool then you kind of have like, I guess, peers that kind of went through the same, same thing as you that you could always reach out to and talk, talk with. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like coming out of the fog, as we say, um, we're all kind of on like different wavelengths of that. Um, I know my one who, my friend who lives the closest to me right now, um, she was much more out of the fog than any of us, <laughs> Um, I mean, she had lots of questions growing up and like, she was very interested in, um, finding out as much as she could. Um, I came out of the fog maybe a few years ago, um, which kind of sparked my journey with all of this stuff.
0: (laughs) As far as the trauma, um, so being a a trauma social worker, a therapist, I mean.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, so no, that, um, that came first. So also when I was younger, I, uh, had a rare blood disorder that was treated like cancer, and so um, I had chemo, bone marrow transplant, all that fun stuff. Um,
0: <laughs> what, what is it called?
1: Um, aplastic anemia. Um, okay. So I'm I'm completely fine now. That happened when I was eight, um, but that kind of led me to my career now.
0: <laughs> uh, you said you were eight years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was it
0: Was it scary? Did you know really what was going on?
1: Um. So, like, when you're eight like you have enough awareness of what's going on, but like, obviously not like the cognitive abilities to like fully understand what was going on. Um, I do have like a vivid memory of like when I was sitting with my parents, when they finally figured out what was wrong with me. Um, I was like in a, in a room with my parents and the team of doctors and whatever. And they were like starting to go through all the things. And I got bored and um, one of the child life specialists uh, just took me back to the playroom and then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, since I was so young, a lot of things are blurred. Um, but I think for the most part, I had like a relatively good understanding of what was going on, at least for an eight year old's capacity. <laughs> what,
0: what kind of symptoms were you having?
1: Um, so the first sign that something was wrong was that I had noticed all these little red dots all over my body and which is called petechia. And that happens when your um, your platelets are very low. Um, and so basically with Plastic anemia att- attacks your bone marrow, and so um, your bone marrow is responsible for making your red blood cells or white blood cells and platelets. So, when it attacked my bone marrow, I didn't have like any of those. <laughs> wow. So, um, the what really set my mom off for uh noticing something that was wrong was that uh, I had come home, um, I think it was like playing during recess or something in uh, at school, and I had like I'd fallen and I had a huge blood, br- uh, blood blister on my shin um and it was like tie-dye black purple oh <laughs> all my gosh colors. and so my mom's mom she had ms and lupus so like my mom kind of already had an like some kind of knowledge like she knew that just did not look right um so they took me to the doctors next thing i know i'm in the hospital
0: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by red bike delivery This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one Earth. Wow that's scary.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't, and of course, as an eight-year-old, like you kind of just like, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You think, so. you, you think you're going to be fine no matter what.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, kids are so resilient. Like a lot of times they just like, don't, they're like, eh, whatever, here I am and everything's going to be fine.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Now um, you had mentioned that your, your mom's mom had uh, uh, an issue. And so that she was able to recognize that now being an adoptee do you is it difficult knowing like what um health issues that you might have from your from your uh parents from your biological parents
1: um
0: is that something you've had trouble trying to figure out
1: i mean i don't know any of my medical history when i had gotten sick my mom tried to go back to china um and that was in 03 when SARS had broken out, so she wasn't able to go back and uh, she was going to try to find my uh, biological family, but because of SARS, she wasn't able to do that. Um, But I mean, I am okay with not knowing. I'm not one of those people who's like, I need to know everything about my genes and all these things. Um, I'm like kind of okay with things happening as they come. Because I mean, when you're, when you're an international adoptee, it's, there's so much red tape and so much so many things that you have to do in order to like even try to find something and like the one it's expensive as hell to try to go and like do the whole search and reunion thing um and so like you need to have resources and connections and like it's a lot of work
0: and you're dealing Um, with china also, so they're pretty mm-hmm. cent- they're pretty censored over there. So like as far as doing like a 23ME, is that even uh is that even a thing over there?
1: Um, yes. So I, I actually have done 20 23 I mean I have like distant relatives that like third, fourth, fifth cousins or whatever that are very distant to pop up all the time. Um, but I haven't found anything like I didn't I also didn't do like the medical thing of it. Um,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, like if I knew I was gonna like get Alzheimer's later in life, like I'm okay with not knowing that (laughs) Like, I I can cross that bridge when I get there, (laughs) I don't necessarily want to have another lingering thing of like trauma happening.
0: (laughs) That is funny. That is funny because, um, I was kind of in the same, same situation as you, I was adopted and, uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything like health wise or um things that ran in my family and like every time I went to a doctor's appointment they'd be like what's your what's your medical history and I'm like
1: mm-hmm. I,
0: I couldn't tell you um but you know like for me I just more knowledge is always better for me so I'm like I, I want to know so I did the 23 and me and mm-hmm. ma- mainly for my health so I knew like what um what I you know was dealing with and uh it, because of that I ended up finding my family I found like my dad who I had, hadn't seen for like I don't know twenty some years, Wow. yeah, I didn't even know he was alive, so I, I didn't know even know who he was.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, through like a I think a th- second second cousin, I was able to find him. That's crazy. It's wild. I think it's wild.
1: yeah,'ve I've, I've <laughs> met some some other adoptees, um, one who had told me that she had done twenty three andme and she found her biological family and she was a a Chinese adoptee. Um, and then basically found out that her entire adoption story was a lie and that she had all of these siblings like oh. that were older than her. Um so that would that was interesting. Like that that's so wild.
0: <laughs> so growing up and knowing did you know that you were adopted your whole Oh
1: absolutely. My parents are white and Jewish. There's <laughs> no, way, <laughs> no way getting around that. <laughs>
0: So what was that like? Because obviously there's a cultural difference there, right? Um, mm-hmm. What was that like growing up? Was it difficult to deal with?
1: Um, I mean, so I I identify as a transracial and international adoptee. And so when you have tra- like transracial adoptees, meaning like your, your race is different than the family that adopted you. And so, um, yes, there's lots of... <laughs> lots of identity things that I didn't really know or didn't really even have words for until up until like the last few years of my life. Um, And then now as a, as a therapist, I'm trying to be, or trying to get more into specializing in adoptees um, being more adoption competent um, because being an adopted person is just not enough to clinically work with other adoptees. Um, And so it, it definitely has been challenging. I mean, I, I grew up in a, predominantly white christian area um, i didn't really fit in with my family i didn't really fit in with my community um, even even the asian people that i had grown up with like i didn't fit in with them um so there's a lot of places where i've been othered and right. so like i mean that's a very common uh, thing for adopted people to go through especially transracial adoptees
0: Absolutely. And, uh, I, I can, I can, I can, uh, I don't want to say like identify with you, but, you know, know, I understand because, um, I'm my, my background is Honduran. And when I was adopted, I was was adopted into a Caucasian home. So like everybody Mm -hmm. in the house is white and I obviously have darker skin than they do. And so like, Mm -hmm. when you go out in public, people like, like, okay, they look like they're related he does not look like he's related <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well it's so funny because sometimes I'll be like out in public with my mom and like some people will be like oh is that your daughter and, she, and we're like yeah and they're like you <laughs> she looks just like you and we're like oh really <laughs> we just kind of look at each other and just laugh wow. I mean there's really not <laughs> much
0: else you can do <laughs> that is so funny because I've had that happen too where like my adopted brother who's uh my adopted parents biological son he's obviously mm-hmm. Caucasian and like him and I would go out like to the mall or something and then we'd get to talking to somebody and they'd be like oh you, are you guys uh twins and we're like what <laughs> no we have different like different skin color what <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: right. yeah it's it's a it's a strange thing that happens. I mean, there's been plenty of things that people have said to me just about adoption, regard like because people just don't really know how to like react to that. Yeah. Either so they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry," and then get really awkward and then start asking all these invasive questions, which I'm sure you <laughs> you can really have, like. <laughs> you get a little bit used to it, and then you're also like, "Are you really asking me this stupid question right now?"
0: <laughs> For me, it's like, okay, I guess. It looks like I have to like sit down and tell them another story. This is, this, <laughs> you know, like, it's just a part of who I am now. Like, I don't, I don't, for me, I don't think it's inv- invasive because I mean, obviously this is what I do. I talk about my story, like through the podcast mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it's like when somebody asks, starts asking questions, it's like, okay, here we go again. Mm-hmm.
1: I, yeah. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And I like, I think it, the comfort level for people is so different like I it kind of depends on who's asking me like if they're asking me because they're genuinely interested in me as a person like want to get to know me that's a whole different story story than somebody off the street who's like oh I'm just curious and I want to know everything because I don't know anything about this and I want you to educate me on your experience as an adoptee or insert any (laughs) other minority or
0: (laughs) right right Yeah, that's something that a lot of people just don't understand. Um, Mm -hmm. Like normal, normal, like people in our, in our culture, they don't understand what it's like to be an adoptee or like the things that surround it. And I don't know, I guess they're kind of interested in it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I mean, I, adoption is definitely something that you cannot just like Google very easily. Um, And I think there's, I really didn't even know how big the adoptee community was until I started my uh, therapist Instagram and kind of started looking more towards adoption um, and starting following people and starting following hashtags and all those things. And I was like, wow. Um, And that's where I really have been able to like find the language that I didn't have um, growing up or even as a clinician, because you don't get taught those things in school. You don't get taught those things in college you don't get taught those things in grad school you just kind of get taught like the very basics where adoption is like an enigma
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) there's so
1: many things and I mean I think it's so cool that like we have that one thing in common but like our stories are so vastly different
0: oh extremely I mean I mean every situation is different just because I mean so many people go up for adoption for so many different reasons like for you Mm -hmm. uh, obviously somebody gave you up right uh for me it was we were taken away from from our biological families and you know mm-hmm. and then the, those situations vary so so drastically too because like some people yeah. might be somebody might grow up in a bad situation where they just have shitty parents and then other <laughs> yeah. other people might have parents who love them and care about them but are just aren't able to you know take care of them
1: yeah yeah and I mean I again I don't necessarily know my whole background but um but yeah I mean I've also worked with kids in the foster system, and I used to work in a residential treatment center for kids with like, very severe emotional behavioral um, needs because of trauma and the things that these kids would go through. I'm like, I don't even understand how you can, like, still play with a truck and, like, be cool with that. Like, I don't, right. <laughs> I can't even, like, imagine.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So many kids go through so many terrible things. Um, My, I've seen so many, I mean, because my adopted parents did foster care for a while after like we were adopted, after we moved out and stuff, they like had other kids come in and like some of these stories, I'm just like, holy cow. Like, no wonder why that kid has like those issues or like, cause uh, like it's so easy for like a kid to go to school or something and then everybody just think wow he's a he's a shitty kid but they don't understand the things that he went through that that is causing him to act that way
1: Oh my god yeah I mean I um, my first therapist job I was working in community mental health um, and so I was part-time in the um, outpatient mental health clinic itself and then I was also put in a elementary middle school and um, both were in the city just one was east and one was west um and like so many, a lot of times these kids just get kind of get labeled by their bad behaviors and like they're not bad kids I mean a lot of them would wind up in my office and (laughs) we'd just be having a grand old time playing with play-doh and like playing with toys and like doing therapy stuff um but like they're not they're not bad kids they just have a lot of things and then i mean that kind of gets into a whole thing of like are we actually meant like diagnosing people with mental health disorders or is it their environment that sucks
0: you know
1: i mean that's a whole that's a whole other conversation
0: (laughs) i had um just off of that note when i first started working at gm i had a a boss that him and i didn't get along very well he was just kind of like he was an old school guy he was an old guy and he was just Mm -hmm. old school like like follow the rules by the book type of guy and Mm. uh you know, I, I guess at that time had a problem with authority, (laughs) slightly, (laughs) like people who just like impose their authority on you, like I just didn't agree with or, you know, and then it just causes this this dynamic, this bad workplace environment dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so there was many times where like, I would, he would have to take me and write me up or whatever for mouthing off or something. And Mm -hmm. I remember one time, uh, for some reason, him and I were just talking mutually, like it was fine. And he was like, asking me about myself, and I told him I was adopted, and he goes, wow, mm-hmm. that, ex- that explains everything, Ooh. and I, I was like, you, sir, are an asshole, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I had an old boss tell me about, uh, say that to me about an old coworker of mine, she was also adopted, um, was in the foster care system, and she was like, well, you know, some people, like, just don't, just can't move on from those things, and I'm like, you, you lady, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hmm. no (laughs) no
0: it's so easy to just label somebody because of the things that they had gone through
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know it it's just it's a simplistic way of looking at things
1: oh absolutely I mean I could guarantee the majority of my teachers like in grade school and stuff would never think that I would be where I am right now (laughs) Not that I was a bad a bad kid but like my I did not care about school I think I remotely maybe started caring about school like junior year of high school. And then that's when I kind of like was able to get partly of my shit together and like figure out what I wanted to do and like (laughs) actually started caring. And I mean, college was so much better because like you were, I mean yes, you had to do all like the general education stuff, but like it was so much more like I had more control over like the things that I wanted to do. And like also like not living in my parents' house was
0: much better (laughs) (laughs) it always is as when you when you become an adult you just have to get out because it's just that whole dynamic of being your own adult and like you just got to figure out who you are as a person
1: yeah I had a I had a very rough time coming home after my freshman year of college that was that was not good because I got used to all of that freedom and like I could do things on my own and like I was I'd like to think I was relatively responsible as a (laughs) (laughs) a human outside for the first time (laughs) um and like having to come back and like they need to know where I was all all the time and like uh couldn't stay out this this place or had to tell them when wherever I was going I was like no no absolutely (laughs)
0: not (laughs) oh that's so funny um so let's kind of backtrack a little bit Mm -hmm. what got you interested in social or in yeah the social uh, work field and uh, what made you become a trauma therapist what made you want um
1: so yeah <laughs> and so um I actually went to undergrad for something completely different um and so it was called child life specialty and so I don't know if you're familiar with that at all no, no. okay so child life specialists are often found in hospitals um they are their primary role is to um educate the family and the kids on. Um, medical procedures, um, hospital visits, and making sure that like everybody knows what's going on. Um, They do a lot of medical play and medical preparation um, in terms of surgeries or other medical procedures like cancer treatment, stuff like that. Um, Partly some of their job is like doing distractions. So like when kids need to get blood draws and um, things or other things that like will will, will require them to be awake during, which are not fun, Mm. Um, they, distract the kid and make sure that they're calm and, um, have more of a pleasant experience rather than like in the old days where they just, you know, strap you down and you're screaming and like, <laughs> <laughs> not fun. And it's traumatizing yeah. for everyone involved. Um, so that's it. Uh, that's what I wanted to go into originally because of my experience being, uh, sick. Um, and so, uh, that did not work out. Um,
0: did you have a bad experience with that? Is that what made you want to go into it? with child
1: with, life specialists. with
0: no no with being sick because you said that being sick kind of made you want to go into that field
1: oh no i i loved all the child life specialists uh that i had um they they did a wonderful job um taking care of me and taking care of my family um i i wanted to do what they want that what they did <laughs> as a okay. job because it's fun right um but the profession itself because I was an undergrad student competing with master's students for the internships with the with uh which like the so like for social works we have like the national association for so of social works so or social workers or whatever um they also have like a council or whatever and like they weren't really doing too much in terms of like the competitive competitiveness of the field because there weren't enough jobs because i mean there's maybe only one two child life specialists per unit at most Mm -hmm. (laughs) um that's crazy or even in a hospital um and so that was a way of like keep making sure that like there were going to be jobs available for the people who were like training to be this
0: you know is that because of funding what is what is the purpose of only having one or two or none
1: um probably that and then also i think it's been a really big fight of like knowing that child life specialists are actually important and like need like like they have a role in <laughs> in right. healthcare. um I think it's more of like a priority thing okay unfortunately um, but so I if you don't get an internship you can't complete like you can't move forward essentially. And so unfortunately I did not get an internship, but I was gonna get my master's in social work anyway. And so my last semester of undergrad um, was just doing an internship. I didn't have any classes. I had to do some things like just like weekly, like write up things (laughs) to talk about what I was doing, or I guess journal entries, whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And so, Uh, I did a school social work internship, um, which I would never like seen myself in schools ever before. Um, I've, I'd always wanted to be in hospitals before that. Um, and so I, I loved it. It was really great. I mean, I had, uh, it was really, really nice change because I didn't have to worry about like people dying on me and stuff. Because I mean, Mm -hmm. like when you're in the pediatric oncology world, like that's a, that's something that's kind of like an inevitable um i'm also part of a camp for kids with cancer called camp sunrise and so um i do that and then the siblings camp um for that too and so like i've been a part of that since i was eight <laughs> wow and so that, what is what is that
0: what is that what is that camp you said you've been part of it part of it since you were eight
1: Yeah, so it's called Camp Sunrise, which is the main camp for the kids with cancer. And then you have the siblings camp, Camp Sun Sibs, um, which is for the siblings of the kids with cancer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I started doing uh, Sibs when I was, uh, I guess this will be like my sixth year or so. Mm. Um, And so I became a counselor there when six years ago, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I've been involved in Sunrise for, I guess this will be my 20th year. Wow. Which is crazy.
0: That is, that is crazy. Cause you're not old. <laughs> <at> <laughs> <Yeah. all. laughs>
1: Makes me feel old when I think about how long <laughs> I've actually been there. And then like having kids who are my campers and like now our counselors, I'm like, this, this is not okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's but, cool. That's gotta be a great experience, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I grew up there. Um, it's kind of like another realm where like, these people get it you don't have to explain things but however it's also another place where I'm kind of othered because I didn't have cancer I'm like I think there are maybe five or six other people that have what I had um and so we kind of have like a running joke of like it's not cancer camp it's chemo camp because everybody's <laughs> had chemo there
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny so at that point what did you what did you go do after that
1: so I went for my master's in social work um and so I have my MSW and then I got licensed so like you have to licensing kind of depends on where you live so like I know in New York like they have um stricter licensing requirements than uh the Maryland um so you have to have your LMSW um so like you sit for an exam and then get your like general practicing license and then you can like a therapist and then uh two years roughly two years after that um you have to have like certain amount of hours and supervision and things (laughs) and you can sit for your second licensing exam so your lcswc um which is what i have i was able to get that last year um and then so i'm a fully licensed social worker clinical social worker
0: (laughs) that's awesome um and You've done that for two years now?
1: So I've been, uh, I guess this will be my third, third, going on fourth. Yeah.
0: Okay. And how do you yeah. like that?
1: Um, I love it. I mean, every job has their, has their moments. I mean, br- the burnout <laughs> is very real,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, but I, I I love what I do and I'm not always the best with my work boundaries because I love what I do.
0: <laughs> what do you mean by that?
1: Like, I'm always, I always tell my clients that I'm like, as flexible as you are so like if i can find time and i can squeeze you in somewhere i will um that doesn't always benefit me later after when i've seen like eight or nine people in a day um (laughs) but i'm getting better (laughs) um
0: how do you how do you manage that do you i mean because being a trauma therapist it's got to be pretty emotionally and mentally like 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 tiring how do you how do you manage that
1: I mean over time you kind of you develop a very dark sense of humor
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it I love that
1: Um, and I mean, we all have our days where some things they get, they, they just get to you and you, and you, uh, some days you can't just leave your work at work. Um, especially when it was basically all telehealth through the pandemic and you were literally working in your house and had no separation there. Um, but I mean, a lot of other days I have I'm, I can listen and, um, share things that may or may not be super helpful depending on the person (laughs) because I mean.
0: Now, being a trauma therapist, um, Mm -hmm. could you give me, like, a, I I know you can't talk about any specifics of, like, people or anything, but, like, what kind of Mm -hmm. things do people typically come to you to talk about?
1: Um, So, in terms of trauma, so, like, a lot of people have, like, some kind of abuse history. Um, They may have been in uh, toxic, unhealthy relationships. They may have been uh, partners or children of people who struggled with substance use, um, people who have struggled with death or had to be uh, caretakers for other people who had illnesses. Um, I have a couple people who have chronic illnesses. A lot of my people have PTSD or CPTSD, um, unfortunately CPTSD, which stands for, um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, that's not recognized in the big book of disorders, the (laughs) DSM-5.
0: What would be labeled as CPTSD?
1: So basically what CPTSD is when you have more than one trauma that, um, that happens in your life and it's kind of repeated whereas like so like there's also like a uh, a form of PTSD that's like chronic PTSD which is kind of like like a death by a thousand paper cuts um but like complex trauma is when it's like multiple different traumas that kind of happen over time um and so like when you work in when you work in the inner city like (laughs) a lot of that runs through um because the people just don't have the support the resources the means to kind of Live.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: Um, And so I kind of just kind of like fell into the trauma world. um, And I like didn't think I was going to like specialize in trauma. But like, I think it's been a very rare experience of mine where I've met people who haven't experienced any kind of trauma. (laughs) And I typically don't understand those people. like what do you mean you've lived your entire life and never been traumatized like what's that like I can't even imagine
0: (laughs) one thing I found really interesting I've kind of been thinking about it a lot lately because um like for me I've gone through some really traumatic things and Mm -hmm. like for me to like have something affect me like you emotionally it has to be pretty traumatic like mm-hmm. like the bar for like traumatic events <laughs> has to be like extreme now yeah. <laughs> but it's real interesting to me because like one thing that i would think that might not be traumatic for me could be mm-hmm. extremely traumatic for somebody else and it might not even be
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know like that big of a deal mm-hmm. and i've i've personally seen it with somebody that you know they went through this event and it like traumatize them to the point where they still talk about it to this day. And I'm like, that's yeah. like that's like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of it's kind of bizarre how um humans are so so different in that aspect.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of speaks to like when I talk to my clients about stress, like or or their feelings. Like nobody can tell you how to feel, nobody can tell you what stresses you out because that's all very subjective. Hmm. Um but yes, I totally, I totally agree with that. I mean some people's like tolerance um, is just not to where other people's capacities are. Like some things that, like, and some things that stress them out are like very, very intense. Whereas, like, some maybe for you or I, like, it's like, oh, that thing happened. Okay, I'm gonna go eat some ice cream now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it kind of, it kind of has to do with like resilience, also, like your ability to kind of bounce back from really hard things. Um, and like people's windows of tolerance, um, your ability to kind of regulate and bounce back and your resilience, it varies from person to person. Um, but I mean, that's <laughs> when, when you were saying that, I, I was just kind of thinking about how like, I'm really bad at babysitting quote-unquote normal children because like my threshold for like freakouts is like very high (laughs) especially after working in um, a residential treatment center Um, I mean I would walk in there that that was an internship um, in grad school I mean I would walk in and it was like not even 45 forty-five, nine o'clock in the morning, and people would be screaming, or like staff behind me would be carrying kids because they have to go into the into the um, quiet room and like <laughs> have to regulate themselves, and they're being put in holds, and like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I, I just got here, <laughs> I'm like, oh no, it's one of mine, <laughs> what happened?
0: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's so funny. Yeah, a kids definitely vary dr- dr- drastically too. Like my, I have I have two kids Um, mm-hmm. and actually technically I have three, but I have two, mm-hmm. uh, my son and my daughter, my daughter is like pretty chill. Like, you know, she's not like extremely hyper unless like my son gets mm-hmm. her riled up or something. <laughs> and my son, <laughs> on the other hand, is like, what happened? Because this child is wild, like <laughs> wild, wild. I don't even know like <laughs> how that happened, but. Yeah, kids vary so so drastically. Mm-hmm. Um I don't remember where what we were talking about. Oh yeah. So my question is how do you decompress at the end of a day? Because I remember when I went to therapy just mm-hmm. a few years ago, um my therapist told me she had a therapist. And I'm like oh. <laughs> I'm like, what oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, every good therapist has a therapist or has been in therapy themselves. I think it's very hard to be a good therapist when you don't have the experience of being on the other side of the screen or being in the other side of the chair or the other chair, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, I recently started working with another adoptee who is also a therapist. Um, and that's been really, really cool. Just being able to like learn different things and, um, learn again, more of the language that, uh, that I just don't have because you can't really Google it, right? <laughs> um, but I mean, some of the ways that I decompress—like I'm—I'm—I'm I'm a powerlifter, so I I work out a lot. Um, that's one—that's one of my hobbies. Um, do, you,
0: do you compete? No, no. I, ever... I, I
1: compete against myself, but not other <laughs> people. My <laughs> my coach would love me to train uh, to compete, but
0: no. You should. <laughs> you definitely should.
1: I. I don't necessarily love being the center of attention like that like I I often like don't like to work out with other people because then I'm like I kind of become like a backseat driver I'm like oh my god you're gonna hurt yourself don't do that (laughs) (laughs) but like I I like competing against myself like I love like being able to like set goals for myself and like be able to reach those but like if people are watching me like I'm, I'm also like a very clumsy human so like if people are watching me and I panic like I'm gonna drop something on myself <laughs> that would not be good
0: <laughs> I, I went to a powerlifting meet uh last summer and because I I wanted to get mm-hmm. into powerlifting I started powerlifting a little bit um mm-hmm. but one thing I realized is like it's so funny because you're in this room with all these meatheads like everybody yes. up there is like before they start you know lifting they're like pounding their chest yes. and like getting all worked up yeah. But but everybody there is super supportive of yeah, everybody yeah. lifting. Even if you're competing against them, they're like, oh come on, come on, come on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kinda, it's I would love cool. to go and see one, just not not compete myself. I mean, it's really <laughs> I mean, my coach, she's I think she made she's 16 or 17, and she's like a certified like trainer and does and like she has her own business and like does all these things and, um and she's she's really cool.
0: <laughs> 16 or 17.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And she, she competes. Um, but I don't, I don't <laughs> see that in my future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that I hope you do someday. That'd be cool. Uh, what got you into powerlifting?
1: Um, I, I don't really know, actually, like I, I was never like an athletic or like sports person, um, ever. Uh, I know I like to did gymnastics for a little while as a kid and that was like cool and then I got older and I was like I don't really want to like because at some point you have to like compete and stuff and I'm like no <laughs> 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 like because like I like doing things for me and so mm-hmm. like powerlifting is is for me and um I, I I know I like tried to like get into some kind of lifting like in college and then um once I was out of college, then I kind of started doing some more like, like group fitness related things that was like strength training with like weights and stuff, but like, not like, not like Zumba or stuff like that anyway, Right, I did that too, which is also fun. Um, but that, uh, that kind of started things with me, like starting to lift. And then I found her through another group, um, my trainer, um, and then, it's kind of I've been training with her for maybe like a year and some change now and it's been awesome um because I it's mean just... she writes all my things for me and I don't have to think about it and I just <laughs> lift things and put them down and then go about my day <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is funny I just powerlifting is like such it's like one of those like unique forms of working out that like it's mm-hmm. it's not like I mean because like generally like most Females who just want to just work out, they just go not and not just females, but anybody really, mm-hmm. uh, who just want to work out, just go to the gym and they'll just like maybe do some sort of like weightlifting program or something mixed with some cardio. But powerlifting is so specific, mm-hmm. it's such a specific thing. Like it's interesting that you pick that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's also like I, I I also have like a history of like eating disorder, so like I have binge mm-hmm. eating disorder, and so like finding powerlifting and being able to like switch my goals from like I need to change my body to like I want to lift 300 pounds off the ground because I'm 4'11 and like that'd be fucking badass. <laughs> 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 like I never felt at like I will never feel as good about myself when like about like oh I can fit into a size zero, but like being able to like li- I think my one rep max now is like. 245 or something like I've never felt more badass of being able to pick up 245 pounds off the ground
0: (laughs) that is awesome (laughs) yeah that is awesome you should feel
1: badass
0: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that's kind of crazy that's so crazy to me um so you said you mentioned an eating disorder what what was Mm -hmm. the eating disorder
1: binge eating disorder
0: binge eating okay so -hmm. you just can't stop like
1: yeah so I mean with that it's like eating large quantities of food in a very short amount of time or like being eating a lot of food to the point where you're like sick and like uncomfortable Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and I mean I've had I that's something I didn't really even like realize I had or like didn't really want to confront into the last few years either um and I'm much I'm in a much better place with that than I than I've ever been um but I think a lot of it. a lot of my issues still like kind of just stem from like body dysmorphia um which is like you when you look in the mirror you don't like what you see
0: yeah. um
1: and, like that's still something that I battle on a day-to-day but um eating disorders definitely run in people who have or adopted people
0: <laughs> and anybody who's experienced trauma really right
1: trauma um and then like And a lot of my friends from camp and stuff like, uh, and I've seen with other people like relationships with food after going through like cancer treatment, like that, that changes and uh, your body changes a lot through that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I could imagine.
1: Yeah. There's Um, lots of layers to that one. (laughs) What's that? There's lots of layers to that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there absolutely are. Um, What kind of things would you find yourself eating? Like, uh, like, was there a certain type of food, like junk food or was it? Pretty
1: much anything. I mean, like, I know, like, one of my trigger foods was like ice cream. Now I can have like, I couldn't have like pints of like Ben and Jerry's in my in my freezer because I'd eat the entire thing in one go. Now I can, wow. um, so, or like before I like I wouldn't be able to have pints in the house, but I could eat like the small like 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 bars or something like that. Um, and now it's kind of like the opposite because I'm really lazy. I also have <laughs> ADHD, so like, <laughs> the more things that I have to do to get one task done the less I'm going to want to do that (laughs) right right when I have a pint of ice cream now I'm like oh well that means I have to go get a bowl and I have to go get a spoon and then I have to clean the bowl and the spoon after like (laughs) that's all and I don't have a dishwasher or anything in my house like dishes are just never ending in my in my my house (laughs) no I don't want to do that
0: (laughs) not worth the ice cream I guess yep (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I mean
1: it was more like junk food related things
0: I think um like for me, like I oftentimes wonder if I have a de- eating disorder because I eat a lot of food sometimes, but I also like a lot of times work out really hard too. So and I I find myself doing these extreme type of diets, which I'm recently trying to get away from. I'm like I I, I still do um uh, fast. I fast for like uh like intermittent fast for like 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would find myself like doing mainly like a meat diet or like a, you know, with no greens or sugar. I mean, I'm finding now that like a balance, like having a a good balance is healthy because, (laughs) (laughs) because like, if I, if I, if I like, because I used to just eat just lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I'm finding like, if I eat like a little bit for breakfast and maybe I'll eat less at lunch and then I'll eat a snack in the afternoon and then dinner, it seems to be Mm -hmm. a little bit, a little bit more healthy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when you have to find what's right for you. So like, I think intermittent fasting works pretty well for people who have like, like nurses who like work three, three days, but 12 hour shifts. And like they have to take care of people and don't have a lot of time to sit down and actually eat things. Um, But like kind of like what you're talking about, like cutting foods out or cutting certain food groups out um, and trying all these like fad diets, like whole 30 keto, whatever. um, That's when it becomes a problem because like, Yes, short term, you will lose weight. But once you start reintroducing all of those things back into your diet, like you're going to gain weight back, maybe you won't gain all of it back, but you're going to gain those things back, like gain weight back because you're reintroducing those things into your diet. Um, And that's when like sustainability comes into play, which a lot of people have issues with because they're looking for the quick, fast thing that's going to get them the six pack and like (laughs) all the things that society puts on us to that we need to look a certain way and feel a certain way and like bullshit beauty standards you know
0: (laughs) right right Um,
1: that everybody's trying to achieve but like you can't get there if it's not sustainable like if you can't do this five years from now like then fuck it what's the point because you're not going to be happy like I know at one point like when I was tracking macros like that triggered the shit out of my eating disorder and I was actually kind of grateful for the pandemic because like that was really what opened my eyes to like Oh girl, you have an issue. <laughs> right. Um and so like
0: what well, what was I, the issue with the macros?
1: So you would have to like when you're tracking macronutrients, uh you are you familiar with that and stuff? Yeah,
0: yep. Okay.
1: So um
0: <laughs> I, I was when just you're curious. tracking that,
1: like you have to be very specific. And so like I would I was doing it with a program within a gym that I used to go to and like um and again. It, what might what didn't work for me might work for somebody else and like other people have have no issues tracking macros it had just comes when you have an when you have an eating disorder it comes it all that gets a little bit harder because you're like setting yourself to these standards you have to meet this number this number this number and I also have like no concept of math so like (laughs) that, that was kind of hard to to learn all of that um but like it would I would Allow myself to have some kinds of things, but like I would still feel restricted. So I would just binge things later, mm. or I would binge on the weekends. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm really good Monday through Friday. And then when it comes to the weekends where I had like my free meals, which was a little bit better because instead of like a cheat meal, because like that has like a negative connotation. Like you would, if you were in a relationship, like you obviously wouldn't cheat in your relationship. Why cheat on your diet? You know?
0: Right, right. Um,
1: but <laughs> like, I, just couldn't that was like unsustainable because I was trying to be as good as possible and then just like feeling ravenous later when I wasn't eating enough or I was just setting myself to these unrealistic standards that I just could not meet because my eating sort of wouldn't let me
0: right right um, I think- and I
1: did get down to like my leanest and like even then like I look back and I'm like I was still not happy I still wanted to change this I still wanted to change that and like I was like I had the realization, like no matter how much I changed, how much, no matter how much I worked out. Cause I, at one point I was working out like six, seven days a week, sometimes twice in a day. Like that was not good.
0: <laughs> you don't think that's good to work out twice a day?
1: It kind of depends on what you're doing. Were like you if power, you're doing powerlifting like, twice a day. Yeah. Like
0: yeah, you not should good.
1: not <laughs> that, No, <laughs> I mean, I was <laughs> at that point, I was doing like um, metabolic conditioning. So it was like strength lives like kind of like a mix between like hit workouts and strength Mm. training so like it was very intense yeah Um, it was like doing that twice a day sometimes and like that's just not not good and I mean like your body needs rest you need time to like recover Mm -hmm. and that's like how you if you want to make progress you need that rest and I I was not doing that (laughs) yeah um, and then like, I was also like working out so I could deserve to eat later. And like, that's also not good because every human deserves to eat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You can't starve yourself. Of I, I even think it's good to like give into cravings too. I mean, mm-hmm. within, within reason, mm-hmm. um, I think that's one thing that's kind of overlooked is eating disorders. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think your typical eating disorder, like in the media or in TV shows, all those things is displayed. Not 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 to the service where it should be. I mean, the majority of people with eating disorders look like just you and I people on the streets. You don't have to look like you're a thousand pounds or you don't have to look like you're emaciated. Mm -hmm. Um, The majority of people with anorexia or bulimia don't look emaciated, (laughs) but they have eating disorders. Yeah. Um, It's something that's not very, I think it's getting better in terms of like being able to talk about it because of like the uh, health at every size, like fat positive like body positivity fat acceptance like that whole movement um I think that's getting a little bit better um like I love seeing commercials where like people actually have roles and like they're not like oh cool they have pimples and stuff like that (laughs) that's real life
0: (laughs) (laughs) right right um now uh have you is, is this something you've had to deal with like talk about with other people's in in your therapy sessions
1: oh yeah yeah Yeah. um I I think I've learned a lot about myself through my clients um like I never thought I had anxiety or depression before because I would like I do a lot of like assessment stuff for uh, for check-ins like um like general like anxiety depression stuff and uh I've I would look at him like, oh, no, I would answer no to all of these things. But when I actually started going to therapy myself, my therapist was like, "Uh, no, you're anxious. And I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Um, But like, I mean, I, the first time I started working with somebody who had an eating disorder like that, I was like, oh, I do that. (laughs) I'm like, oh, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I, I have, I have a lot of clients who have been through, similar situations that i have been in um and i think it's also well one is a therapist and you've been through when you've been through some of the things with your like similar things that your clients have been through you have to be very careful of like not putting your own shit onto other people because like that's not what they're there for right um, also like extremely unethical
0: <laughs> right <laughs> Somebody,
1: right If the therapist doing that to you you need to leave um, and so I, but I also think it's helpful when your therapist understands like what you've been through, at least can understand, or even understanding that you don't understand, like that has more power in it than being like, I totally know what you've been through. Like, here, let me help. And you're like, no, bitch, you don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's good to like, if you're a therapist and you don't understand what somebody's going through, just ask questions. Cause that's the only mm-hmm. way you can understand. And by them, like explaining what they're going through. I think will help mm-hmm. them kind of put things into perspective as well. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of times I just kind of sit there and reframe or like parrot back things and in, and, 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 or ask questions in like 80,000 different ways and clients kind are of like, Oh, like something kind of like clicks for them. And I'm like, you had to come to that on your own. I could say as many things as I want, but like, if you don't come to those things, or if you don't want to change or you don't want the help, like I can't do anything. I always tell my clients, like, I'm only as useful as the things that you tell me. Um, And so, like, if I don't know about anything, (laughs) if you're hiding something or don't feel comfortable sharing something with me, like, that's not going to change, you know?
0: Right, right. Now, being a therapist and having to deal with all the things you deal with and, like, talk about all the things you have to talk about. It's got to be, mm-hmm. like I said, kind of overwhelming. And one of the ways you decompress is by powerlifting. Is there anything mm-hmm. else you do that that helps you not take it home? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I talked to my friends um, about some things. And, like, I I mean, I think the pandemic ruined a lot of the interests that people like to do because you had to be in your house. <laughs> right. So, um, but people ask me some of the things that I like to do. I'm like, do I actually know what I like to do anymore? Um, but, I mean, I... I like to do I'm I like to do art sometimes. Um what and kind of art? Uh, I, I'm I'm no no way by any kind of means an artist, but I am pretty crafty. So like <laughs> some like like crafty things on Pinterest that you find. Like I, I can like find like very simple painting things and like recreate those. Um what else have I done? I've done like paintings on like, like glass frames. I like just picked that up and that was kind of cool. Um But typically when that happens, I'm like hyper-focused on art and I do it for a few weeks and then I stop and then don't do it again for like months and then I'll pick it back up. (laughs) Um, I also, uh, I'm like covered in tattoos. You can't obviously can't see them right now, but (laughs) I've seen seen (laughs) some of them on your arm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's one of my hobbies too, it's collecting art.
0: (laughs) Cool, that's cool. That's cool. Um, is there anything else you want to talk or discuss before we wrap this up? I think we've been going for about an hour. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I think that was about it.
0: Okay. Um, now you don't have any desire to try to find your biological family?
1: At this time, no. Um, I mean, I... I don't think I've ever really felt that inclination to do so, even just growing up, and like now as I'm more into the adoptee community and like I read all of these things and hear all these horror stories and like, or even I mean some of these, so a lot of there's so much work that has to go into search and reunion, and I, and there's so much risk to that. Like, what
0: do you what do you mean?
1: In terms of like opening yourself up to doing that, like. Mm. doing all these things and maybe not even coming out with anything um or even if you do find your biological family like you you don't I don't speak Chinese (laughs) (laughs) um I don't look anything near like a traditional Chinese person whatever that is um there's like risk of like they're not them not wanting to know me they them like not liking me like they're all like all of those things you know
0: do you think that would affect you pretty traumatically if the like you went and found them and they rejected you
1: um probably i can't say no for for certain or yes for certain but i definitely don't think it would be pleasant
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean I, i guess for anybody who's searching for their family and they are rejected typically they want if they're searching they want a relationship they want to know who they are and and if they're rejected, then I, I would assume that would affect anybody pretty, pretty yeah. dramatically.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, that's one thing when I found my family, like I always, I never really had a desire to find my dad until, <clears throat> until um, I can't remember, it was like three years ago, but mm-hmm. when I turned 18, I had a huge desire to find my mom mm-hmm. and um, I had, I guess, higher expectations for the way it was going to go and mm-hmm. it it didn't quite meet up to like i guess what i had pictured in my mind mm-hmm. um but i so i can understand that and the thing is like with finding my dad is like i just went into it with like, low expectations because i'm like i haven't yeah. seen this guy since i was like 2 or 3 if it doesn't mm-hmm. turn out good then i guess what is it to me if i don't have a relationship with him you know
1: yeah 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 and i mean i that that experience is so, again, so subjective, like people's capacity for that is so different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, before we wrap this up, is there any like words of inspiration you want to throw out there or I know I'm putting you on the spot. everybody
1: should go to therapy at least once in their life. I know therapy is, therapy can be hard, um, and like finding the right fit and finding like the, uh, like financial limitations and insurance, insurance is a whole fucking thing too. Um, it can be challenging to find, find a good therapist and somebody who like specializes in what you need. Um, but when you find the right fit, like it can do wonders for you.
0: Um, now is there, um, this is another question, but, um, is there like a good way to find a therapist that might fit other than like having to go to several different therapists?
1: Um, so there are like therapist search engines like psychology today, therapy, Den, open path, um, that will help you narrow down your search, but you really have to kind of meet with somebody first and then figure out whether or not you're a good fit because like you can, obviously you're not gonna, as, <laughs> as a professional, you're not gonna like air out all your business and like, Right. You, you want people to like click on you and like come in. So like, you kind of just gotta, you gotta meet the person. Yeah. First. Um,
0: Are there, but- I'm sorry. Are there, no. uh, are there, um, are there ways for people who don't have like resources to get therapy?
1: yes but they're gonna it's gonna be much more challenging unfortunately um because capitalism rules our world um (laughs) but i mean there are some some places like i know um maryland has like the pro bono pro bono counseling project um and they offer free therapy services also in the places that offer those kinds of services the burnout for a therapist tends to be very high um, so like a lot of times the good therapists that you do find are either out of network because they don't want to deal with insurance companies entirely, or they are through insurance. Um, and so it it can be kind of hard.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. I just, I just had a question. I had to ask that because I know somebody who needs therapy and they don't really have resources. So.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can look at psychology today. You can look at therapy den. Those are pretty popular. Um, uh therapist directory search and things and you can kind of tailor it to like what you're looking for um insurance location uh specialties and all those things okay
0: awesome well thank you thank you for doing this it was a, it was a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to finally do this yeah Um, hopefully we can do it again would you be interested in doing it again
1: yeah absolutely
0: okay awesome absolutely awesome well thanks again for doing this it was an honor
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yep, absolutely. Have a good day. You too. All right, bye.
1: Bye.